Hello, and welcome to the Economics Design Podcast. I'm Kiefer Zhang, and today I'm joined by Nichelle Belthon, who leads the Web3 team at Metajuice, the company that built the InView metaverse. InView has been around since 2004, but forayed into crypto with both tokens and NFTs in the past few years, and currently attracts over 4 million monthly active users. Nishal, thanks so much for joining me today. A pleasure to be on. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So to, uh, to start things off, uh, could you maybe give some additional background about yourself and InView? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So as you mentioned before, InView has been around since 2004. It is one of the OG metaverses in the same genre as the Second Life. And it was meant to be a way where people could express themselves uh, through 3D avatars. Uh, we have a lot of virtual rooms, uh, settings where people can have social gatherings, parties, and the like. So the metaverse itself has been around for a while. Um, it started the journey to convert itself into a Web3 economy about three years back. So to that end, uh, I was brought in to help transition a Web2 economy, a very large Web2 economy into a Web3 economy. So we are still in very early days of doing that. And I've been here since early 2022. Uh, prior to that, I used to work for an NFT company called Unstoppable Domains, where I led all the partner integration with wallets and exchanges. And before that, uh, I was at Triple Labs for three years. Um, I was one of the first hires on the technical services team. And I eventually grew and scaled that team to service customers around the world. And the team was responsible for implementing and supporting Ripple's uh, on-demand liquidity, basically their crypto cross-border payment solution for all their customers around the world. Yeah, that's a really interesting journey um, to be part of a company that has such a huge presence on the Web2 side and, and making that big transition into adopting some of these uh, Web3 technologies. And so maybe we can dig a little bit into some of those uh, new Web3 components that were added on we starting off on the token side. So from my understanding, uh, you have two tokens in the ecosystem. One of them is right. VCoin. Uh, and so mm -hmm. that has a fixed exchange rate against the US dollar, can be acquired with a credit card and easily converted back to mm -hmm. cash at a stable rate or exchange with other crypto. Uh, it's been used as a currency for trades of goods and services on the platform. Uh, and then uh, the other side, uh, vCore, which I understand is the newer token to be used for minting, buying and selling NFTs, uh, and also has some governance capabilities. So I want to get both into those, maybe first on the vCoin side. So I'm really curious, what benefits does vCoin have uh, over using fiat or perhaps an external stable coin like USDC? Absolutely. So um, originally, uh, for a metaverse, we had credits, so these are just like in-game credits um, that we used to sell through fiat. And then we worked with the SEC uh, for a long time to get a no-action letter for Bitcoin. So that's one of the big difference. Uh, it's one of only three tokens to have a SEC no-action letter, I believe. And then it probably is the only token that's launched and is actually thriving. Uh, I believe USDC, Tether, none of those guys have uh, uh, it's, you know, action letter, although now they're working closely with the government, but formally they don't have anything like that. Uh, also with USDC, you might have seen there was a scare when Philippine Valley Bank went down where it wasn't sure where all the deposits were, if USDC was going to be okay or not, it de-pegged for a while and people could have lost some money. 
whereas with Bitcoin, things are very different. With Bitcoin, we worked with the SEC to get a no-action letter. Bitcoin is backed by the company's balance sheet. So regardless of which bank fails or what's happening on the outside, Bitcoin will always be backed by Imbue and by MetaJuice, and we'll always support the redemption. Uh, the big difference also with Bitcoin is uh, it's meant for consumptive utility. It's only meant to be used in our ecosystem. It's meant for people uh, within our ecosystem to purchase digital goods and services on a platform and gift it to their friends or do whatever they want. And then at the point that they no longer need that Bitcoin, they can cash out. So uh, it has a very uh, limited use case as far as our ecosystem. It's not meant to be used for DeFi or any of these other uh, activities that USDT or any other stable coins would be. So it's kind of like tailor-made for use within our metaverse. And that's why we got the SEC no action letter because it was meant for usage within our ecosystem. If you brought in something like USDT, the problem would be uh, again, you'd have to have a crypto to fiat on ramp where you'd collect the crypto, uh, you'd collect the fiat payment uh, at on ramp, pay three, four, five percent how much they charge. Then the user would have to vote it into their own non custodial wallet, set up the seed phrase, and all of that. So it was very complicated um, to do the entire onboarding for USDC. With Bitcoin, what we've done is because it's so tightly integrated within our ecosystem, you can purchase Bitcoin through our iOS uh, app. Through our Google Pay app or through our web, and it's all very seamless. It all for Apple, it was for Apple Pay, for Google, it goes through Google Pay. And then uh, we have a fiat uh, payment provider processor on the website uh, that'll process the fiat payments on the web as well and give you Bitcoin. So it's super seamless for a web audience, and it's natively integrated within the ecosystem. So even before we launched our NFT store last year, you could still use Bitcoin to purchase digital, uh, uh, digital services on the platform. And the big use case was gifting and tipping. So anytime in, a, in our metaverse when someone sets up a party or a social gathering, that person called the host. So they can set up what's called a gated room. You pay a certain amount of money. It's not much, but you pay a few bucks to get another room and have a party with your friends and things like that. So typically those payments used to be made in credit, which is not really web free. With WeCoin, they were able to pay that in WeCoin and the hosts were able to cash out. So we have a large community, 200,000 or so creators, and then several hundreds of thousands of hosts who host these rooms, who host these events in the metaverse. And some of them actually depend on for living. It's no different than some YouTube creators or TikTok creators who do this full time. We have a thriving community that does that as well. And we want them, we wanted them to be able to cash out WeCoin, uh, to be able to cash that out into fiat. So that was the big reason why we went with WeCoin. Uh, so that it's easy and seamless for our community without having to worry about non-custodial wallets. And then depending on a provider who could, uh, you know, you didn't know how stable they were. And we kind of saw that during the Terra Luna collapse where, you know, for a couple of years, everyone thought that UST was going to be the big coin and there's so much money chasing that. And, so, you know, within a couple of days, so there's a lot of risk associated with uh, another party um, if you depended on them for the stable coin. With us, um, with WeCoin, we actually back the token, we run the metaverse, close loop, we maintain it. We also actively monitor for things like fraud, money laundering. We have internal compliance teams, and we make sure none of those activities are happening. And that's how we were able to get the SEC no action letter as well as, you know, uh, we always maintain the peg. So anytime you want to cash out, um, you know, we, we maintain the peg, it's 250 Bitcoin to a dollar. So those are kind of some of the big differences between a, a WeCoin and another crypto stablecoin like USDC or USDT.
Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You're really able to control the risk. You're not not relying on some other entity to to make sure that they're handling all of this from a, a legal and regulatory perspective. And I can also see there being some benefits around kind of having your own branding around it and mm-hmm. um, changing kind of the denominations, something that's useful for you, especially if you're dealing with like very small value payments. Um, exactly. You can make, it doesn't have to be dollars and cents. You can make it kind of uh, up to you how you set that denomination. Um, and so maybe switching a little bit over to the the other token, VCore. So mm-hmm. since they since you already have um, what what seems to be a very successful uh, yeah. on chain currency, um, so why do you now choose to introduce VCore into the system? Absolutely. So VCoin has been very successful. We have uh, well over a million um, wallets. We are approaching one and a half million wallets that have VCoin. So it's probably one of the biggest cryptocurrencies out there as far as how many uh, wallets on it, at least one of the biggest metaverse ones. Um, we wanted to introduce V4 for a couple of reasons. One was because Bitcoin is locked into our ecosystem. You could never do things like decentralized governance. And we're uh, very early in our journey, in our Web2 to Web3 journey. Our, our goal is to eventually transform our economy to Web3 economy. But uh, we are playing it same. We are doing it slow because um, our Audience is not Web two, Web three savvy. Um, they used not used to things like non custodial wallets. So for Weekcoin, we set up a custodial wallet infrastructure where we maintain all the token balances and we cash folks out. But slowly, we wanted to uh, introduce the ability for people to bring in their own token if they wanted. Uh, now they can't do that with Weekcoin because we are the only ones who sell Weekcoin. Weekcoin is also not exchange traded because we back the token and we don't want it out there in the ecosystem and for people using it for DeFi or any other speculative activities. So you cannot do a lot of things um, with Bitcoin and you're kind of restricted to that. But there are people, um, people in our community, when we launched an NFT store last year, folks, a lot of people from outside of you as well came and asked us, hey, can we buy your NFTs on OpenSea or a different marketplace? So there was a lot of demand for NFTs, even outside our ecosystem. And then there was people who are Web3 savvy, not a big percentage of a user base, but they were like, hey, can I bring my tokens into your ecosystem? I see you support NFTs. I see you support your own token, but could I bring another token? And what if I wanted to buy, you know, uh, your NFTs with uh, Ethereum that I have in my wallet? So there were all these other uh, considerations around having a token that could be out there in the ecosystem. Anyone could trade on an exchange, take self-custody off it. With the NFTs, we are allowing people eventually to take uh, self custody of their NFTs. Why not give them the same with a crypto token as well? Or allow someone who has V4 to be able to purchase that on OpenSea as we build out more integrations or Blur or any other marketplace that, that supports our collection. So that was kind of the driver for why we wanted to introduce V4 in the short term is to have compatibility with you know the rest of the ecosystem, uh, the Web3 ecosystem. Longer term, as we decentralize, um, the the goal was to give our creators a host, uh ways in which they can actually vote on the future of the ecosystem. So basically, governance, decentralized governance, where if you hold, hold the token, you know, um, you can tell you know what you want to see on the product. You want to see, uh, you want to have a voice in how how the product is built out. So currently, we do that through you know reaching out to like our top creators and folks. So it's not. A very um, decentralized way of doing it. We don't like uh, gauge, you know, how many tokens you're holding or things like that. It's typically, hey, when we launch our NFT store, it was like we got some of our top creators that then created and got feedback from them. But we want to eventually decentralize it so anyone who holds the token can go on 
um, something like a snapshot, you know, decentralized governance platform, both their initiative and with WeCore, as there's more WeCore out there over the next few years, um, there'll be a lot of folks holding the token who want more of a say in how the ecosystem expands and other metaverses are built. So those were kind of the key considerations. One was interoperability, and then the second part was the governance for the the platform itself. And that's part of the reason why we introduced WeCore. Interesting. Yeah, it really seems like the next evolution of a shift more towards this uh, towards the Web three ethos while still having these other options that are that are uh, still bringing along your your existing user base so it seems like a very very uh, natural evolution there so switching over a little bit more towards the the nft and the the asset side and you started from uh these web 2 uh goods this uh, these different types of clothing for uh for the different participants in the metaverse um, and and now you're doing some equivalent versions, but as NFTs. And so, in in Web two, the accessibility of goods is, uh, from an economic sense, is controlled through the primary market pricing. You're you're setting the the price uh, maybe in dollars or or credits or uh, Bitcoin um, through the primary market. While in Web three. Uh, it's more often based on the supply that is set, then going and driving mm-hmm. the secondary market pricing. Um, and so that, that really creates an important decision around how, how, what supply are we actually setting for these. So I'm curious, yeah. how does prioritizing accessibility um, versus status factor into your decisions when issuing a certain quantity of NFTs or thinking about mm-hmm. maybe how many NFTs a creator might be allowed to issue? Yeah. So um, we, the way we, we did our NFT store was uh, when we launched it thus far, all the NFTs were initially created by us. So we created a first one of one, about 78 or so NFTs. So we uh, over the last six months or so, we've been ironing out the games with the store. So it was a new store that we launched and we wanted to see how the, the community perceives it. So we've done about 100,000 NFT sales, primary and secondary. And we partnered with brands, we partnered with some influencers to create those. Our main goal was never for us to be the main supplier of NFTs. Um, this was just to gauge the market uh, and then give our user base a feel for what NFTs would look like in the ecosystem. Uh, our, our real goal was to empower our creators. So we have like 200,000 creators who create approximately 10,000 items every day. All of these items go through peer review and things like that. So we make sure that you're not um, uh, going to infringe a copyright or there's going to be a, a DMCA takedown and things like that. So so we kind of wet those items that go on the marketplace. But the goal was to empower these creators to create their own NFT. Uh, and to that end, just this morning, we announced we opened up our NFT uh, tool set to all our creators. So now creators can actually create their uh, NFT. The folks who used to create regular digital goods can start creating NFTs. Uh, what we've done with NFTs is when we sold these NFTs, uh, we sold them at a very low price. Uh, it was uh, was never our intention to sell an NFT for you know one ETH, two ETH, or anything like that. Or we never expected to have like a board ape on a platform. Our goal was um, consumptive utility that folks take these NFTs and actually use it on the platform. And we want it to be accessible for everyone. So the initial set of NFTs we launched was anywhere from I believe four to eight dollars. And since then, all the NFTs we created have always been less than ten dollars. You know they mostly been in like the low single digit uh, range. Uh, so we kept the pricing low. We wanted it to be accessible. We wanted our community to enjoy NFTs, play around with it, give us feedback. 
So all of the 100,000 or so NFTs have been extremely low priced. Um, we kept it to limited quantity because NFTs are rare. And the ones you're creating were either one of ones or super limited quantity so that uh, people, uh, the, the user base could get different variety of uh, NFTs and digital creation. Uh, now with the creator ecosystem, they set their own prices. The creators set their own prices for what they, they think they're good to sell for. In the Web2 economy, uh, when a creator creates, for example, a digital shirt or a digital pet, it's unlimited supply. Mm-hmm. So they created one, once it's approved, anytime it sells, it can keep selling. But with NFTs, we've kept the max supply limited. It can only be a thousand at most per collection. So what it incentivizes creators to do is make higher quality, uh, lower quantity items. So what we have seen, we ran a little bit of a pilot over the last couple of months with a small group of creators to have them create NFTs. So most of them were just creating a few hundred for each because they wanted these items to be unique, um, sell for more, and they like the concept of royalties as well because with NFTs, that's royalties baked in. So anytime there's a secondary trade, they are royalties from that as well. With the regular, regular digital, uh, digital item, they don't have royalties. There's no secondary trading. So once they sell the item, that's it. You know, the item sells. They keep the credit to whatever um, that it sells for. But with NFTs, they like the fact that even if it sells 10 years down the line, they get that 5% credited into their account in the form of a crypto token, which is Bitcoin or Bitcoin. So uh, the maximum quantity is limited to 1,000, but based on what we've seen of the limited beta that we ran with a small group of creators, most folks are pre- uh, creating NFTs in the low um, hundreds, and they're selling out very quickly. I think some of the first ones sold out in a matter of minutes. Um, all the NFTs have been sell out very well received by the community, and everyone loves them. And then we let the secondary market decide what the pricing will be. I mean, we never in a pure app. If you want to list an item for sale, there's a listing fee app platform fee, and there's a royalty that gets paid out to the creator. But uh, after that, it's you know, it's price discovery happens on the secondary. Um, most pretty much everyone that's buying is buying it for uh, using it within the metaverse. There are a few Web3 collectors on our platform who have bid up certain items, especially the one of ones into, uh, you know, probably the few thousands of dollars. But again, our we measure our success not by how expensive items get. Uh, we want items to be low price. We want to get as many NFTs out there as possible. Once a creator ecosystem takes off, um, we measure, we say we're successful if we have millions of NFTs trading on platform next year. So that's our goal is getting low priced uh, NFTs that people can actually use. And then if they don't want it, they can sell it or gift it to their friends because they made, you know, friends in a, uh, in a party or a social gathering or something like that. And then, you know, the creator from the royalty on those items. Interesting. Yeah. I think this is, uh, definitely a little bit of departure from, uh, a lot of, at least how NFTs have been perceived, uh, especially when we were talking about things on, on chains like Ethereum, uh, and I think initially a lot of that came from their high gas fees, so it's only really targeting yeah. the very wealthy whales um, yeah. for for kind of the, the popular N- NFTs, and so you, it was just this focus on this higher higher class of users, and uh, now, yeah, you're, you're able to kind of diversify and target uh, different, different segments here, and it seems like you're really focusing in on accessibility and kind of the uh, lower costs and, and being approachable to a lot of users. Uh, which I think is a great path towards that uh, that wider adoption. And so, um, another, something that we we've, we've seen with a lot of these other assets in the past, especially on the kind of the high end uh, things on Ethereum, is the potential for speculation. 
Um, and so I, I'm wondering, has the has speculation or the potential for it to exist factored into your design at all for the NFT implementation? Um, and how have you seen speculative activity actually play out in practice? Absolutely. So um, it has factored into our design in the sense that we didn't want speculation. Uh, we didn't want massive price runoff. So what we've done is uh, we've limited our NFT collection just to our ecosystem. So the only way you can purchase uh, relist to NFTs for sale at the moment is on the MU platform. And the reason we did that is we had the option of opening it up to the entire wide world because anyone could buy it, but we wanted our community to have first dibs and to actually use it. Um, we didn't want speculators coming in, you know, buying the one-on-ones for a limited edition or a certain brand partnership we did. Uh, if they were popular, just buying it up and making it unaffordable. Um, so we, we've limited our NFTs for now just within our ecosystem, and we have a lot of buyers. We, we sell almost 20 million digital goods each month. These are non-NFTs. So there's plenty of buyers. We wanted them to actually use it. Um, so our, our main focus was consumptive utility. Hey, use uh, the uh, NFT on a platform, show it off to friends, whatever, and then you know either you hang on to it or you sell it. Now, that said, there's a few Web3 collectors on a platform who just you know, like the prestige of having a one of one. So they have run up the price now, but it wasn't because they were expecting it to flip it to the next user. They just wanted to have the privilege of owning, you know, one of the first NFTs on a platform. And we've had other people come and ask that, hey, can we buy off platform or these off platform? But it's like, no, you'd have to come into a platform and buy it. Uh, we will slowly open up the ecosystem as there's more NFTs, more supply of NFTs. We want to be compatible with every other marketplace and listed elsewhere. But we made a conscious decision to keep speculation out and just focus on uh, folks who want to use it and the loyal users who want to use the NFT. So uh, that's kind of what uh, what what our focus has been. And we aim to, you know, we can, obviously it's a, it's a free market, so people can pay whatever they want for it. Sure. But uh, that's not our main goal. Our main goal is getting as many NFT, low-priced NFTs out there as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and something it seems like is a, a tool in your toolbox is even though you're making these commitments to have a fixed supply of a, of a certain good, um, so the, mm-hmm. it's it's fixed there, you sort of have, I, I've called it in other contexts, like substitutive inflation of, uh, yes, like there's only going to be one of this specific hat, but um, if prices start, get, if there starts to be a little bit too much speculation on this, you can create a lot of potentially somewhat similar hats that have their own supply restrictions, but are would be seen as substitutes from uh, from potential buyers. Um, and so that, that isn't the kind of thing that you can can use to kind of make adjustments to, to your supply uh, over time and and keep speculation yeah. around the, the range that that's actually beneficial for the ecosystem. Yeah. And, you know, we are different from all of the rest of the NFT plays in the sense that we seed up these initial NFTs as a company with brand partnerships and things like that. But our, that wasn't our goal. Our, our goal wasn't to be the NFT seller on the platform. Our goal was creators are the ones who are going to take this forward. So it's not like, hey, Yoga Lab, you know, you're going to wait six months, they'll do an airdrop of another NFT or they'll open up something. You're, you're dependent on a like company to come up with innovations, new designs, new experiences. Uh, in our case, the creator, the host are the ones who are creating all of these and our entire ecosystem is about them. It's not about us putting out NFT. So it was mainly to empower them. Our creators have a brilliant peer review system, but actually review these items. So if the items can knock off or just has very minor changes, those will get shot down. 
And the focus again is on creating high quality goods. So it actually forces them to make better, better different goods than that the more, uh, more in demand in the market. Yeah, that user-generated content component is huge. And I, I think, it's, I'm assuming it's one of the, the big reasons that, that you've found success so far. And I'm assuming you will be continue to be uh, successful in the future. Um, and in thinking a little bit uh, deeper in um, the kind of uh, pricing and, and spending behavior that you've seen um, across these your existing Web2 assets and Web3 assets, I um, want to dig a little bit more into that because I think this is an area that a lot of uh, a lot of teams are very interested in. So, like, how how do people actually respond to the the ability to buy uh, an asset that that you can resell? Since you have kind of this the context of both of these Web two and Web three worlds, um, so um, I know you probably probably can't say specific numbers, but generally, just what what have you seen in terms of um, different spending behavior between uh, NFTs and off chain assets? Also curious if that differs between like limited and unlimited items. Although I guess in this case, the yeah. NFTs are across the board are, are going to be limited. Exactly. So NFTs are always limited, max supply of a thousand. Um, the unlimited items, regular digital items, once you create an item, it's unlimited supply. So NFTs are way more desirable um, for entire ecosystems. The buyers, uh, starting from the beginning, they always wanted NFTs. The creators, once they saw the NFTs, They've been chomping at the bit saying, hey, when do we get the tool where we can start creating NFTs? So NFTs are a big hit and they're priced accordingly. You know? So a typical NFT is uh, going to sell for several times what a digital item does. And again, even with the low dollar value, like regular digital items are super cheap. And NFTs are, you know, in the scheme of things, they're pretty cheap. It's not even a few hundred bucks. It's probably, you know, less than $10 for an NFT. But on average, an NFT sells for several times that a regular digital item sells for. Um, there are things in the NFTs that make them desirable. Uh, limited quantity is obviously one of them. You know, the ones of ones are definitely going to be selling for a lot more because they're unique. Uh, the one of many, the semi-fungible tokens are the ones which are probably a little bit lower priced, just as we see on the rest of the um, NFT collection. And then uh, the other desirability for NFTs on platform is the fact that you can sell. It's, it's good for the uh, uh, buyer because they can always sell it, it's good for the creator because they get royalties. And then eventually, uh, we haven't even uh, unleashed all the benefits of NFTs because once we kind of release the ecosystem, they could sell on other marketplaces, uh, you know, OpenSea or Blur or any of the other ones that decide to list it. Um, you could take your NFTs into your own non-custodial wallet. We haven't enabled that yet because we are still in like the early phases of the journey. So once we release those, uh, you know, our, our users will actually be able to see all the things that that they can do with NFTs. The creators will see will be able to see that hey, even if the NFT doesn't sell off platform, sold on different platform that even they may not be aware of, they could actually get a royalty from there. So um, even without factoring all of the things that we can enable for NFTs, they're already much more desirable. Uh, what we also do is we have quite a special uh, in metaverse in game uh, rendering for NFTs. So anytime you're wearing an NFT. You get certain highlights that indicates that you have uh, an NFT. So uh, folks buying NFTs, wearing them within our room, uh, get a lot of digital flex. So it's no different than you know you walk to a blockchain conference and you see someone with a board ape, uh, you know, uh, uh, sweatshirt or something that they bought from a token gated store. So it's no different than that, but this is in in the virtual world 
where NFTs are a form of social flex. And anyone having an NFT, uh, even with the 100,000 NFTs, that's nothing, right? But 20 million digital bits selling, it's a fraction of a percent that, that, uh, that are NFTs. So uh, if someone is wearing an NFT as an NFT pet or NFT accessory, uh, they carry a lot of social flex uh, within our metaverse. So uh, that said, you know, again, higher pricing for NFT, a lot more desirability. Uh, both from the creator ecosystem as well as the user base. Yeah, that's really interesting because it's showing that you have the ability to have status goods without it mm-hmm. it being hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah. And so there there's uh, that range that depending on the context that yeah you kind of you kind of can have both, and you're maybe still targeting um, a slightly higher spender than uh, than those who are buying non NFTs, and so there's still some stratification there. Um, but it, yeah, it doesn't mean that you have to be, they have to be spending an, an insane yeah. amount of money, which I think is a pretty important point to highlight um, for a lot of the players that think um, that, oh, NFT means it's it's all a scam, that they're just trying to make you pay a huge yeah. amount of money. That doesn't have to be the case yeah. and you can still get the, those kind of status benefits. Exactly. Yeah, and kind of another uh, another question that I think a lot of people have about the the impact of, of NFTs that you might be able to, to have some insights on is um, what is what is the impact on retention? So uh, when when mm-hmm. you have these these assets, like are the the people who are interacting with NFTs or have the capability to get them, are they are they staying on the platform longer? Or just any any kind of insights uh, along that that you've been able to pull out? Yeah. So the folks that have the NFT, these are super rare at the moment. They they'll continue to be rare, you know, because even with the trader ecosystem, it's going to be less than a thousand of each. Uh, they like the social flex that comes with that. Um, they like showing it off on the platform. I remember when we first did an NFT drop, uh, it was only 78 items sold out within like less than a minute. And then in the second minute, someone was already wearing that and was in a room and everyone was admiring it and asking, you know, where they got it from and what this new thing is. So, uh, people love to flex their NFT. Um, they love to spend more time on the platform. They love showing it off to their friends. They love hanging out with people that have NFTs as well. There are some rooms where people only NF- are wearing NFTs and, you know, um, uh, it's got uh, like a token gated type of room. So um, it definitely has a big impact on retention. People come back to the platform more because they have a digital good that is valuable on the platform and that they can show off to their friends. Um, there's collectors of NFTs as well. You know, people like collecting NFTs one of each collection, then they want to make a collection. And we're going to give have features uh, very soon where you can actually sell NFTs in a collection, similar to what you can do on OpenSea and other marketplaces. You can set up a collection, one of each of these, you know, with all these different NFTs, then you can sell it. So the collectors who are constantly looking for new NFTs, you have folks asking, hey, when is the next NFT drop? Where's the creator ecosystem coming out? I would like to get an NFT from this creator. So. It, it brings in a lot more engagement, um, especially with our creator ecosystem opening up. Um, most of our user base is waiting to see what type of NFTs are going to come out and which one they can buy. You know, they're jumping at the bit to buy the first creator to the, to the NFT or one from the creator, another one from the creator and making a collection of those. Uh, so it definitely has had a big impact on uh, retention. Uh, as we turn on more features with self-custody being available on other marketplaces, I think that's just going to increase because that opens up the market for these NFTs to not just our ecosystem, but pretty much everywhere that NFTs can be listed. And allow folks to take NFTs into their own wallet, maybe take it elsewhere where they can wear it. So we just see that 
retention improving as we release more features. Yeah, that's that's very interesting. And I'm curious as as a follow up to that, um, mm-hmm. has has there been any kind of difference in that effect between users that are maybe newly brought in by these Web3 components that are maybe more Web3 native versus from mm-hmm. kind of existing older accounts um, in terms of their level of interest in this and potential in, uh, impacts on uh, on their activity? Yeah, so uh, I would say the newer Web3 folks are on average very, very young, right? They're very young. They, they probably like speculation more than the older crowd, right? They're the ones who are going to buy and try to sell or uh, the older crowd is probably the ones who want to collect. They want to collect. They want to hang out, uh, hang on to these NFTs. They don't necessarily care about self-custody and things like that or being available on other marketplace. The young people are the ones, some of the ones who, um, you know, obviously bought it because they love NFTs. They love the tech behind it. The older crowd loves more of the utility. The younger crowd loves more of the uh, the newer folks like all the things associated with NFT, like interoperability, being able to take it on other platforms, which again, we still haven't enabled, but they, they've been asking us about it. The ones who've been on the platform for a long time, they like that, hey, these are new items and they get all the special rendering and these all the things that do with it. Uh, they like to collect those. We had a system of badges uh, on, our, on our platform and there's people who have collected hundreds of badges. And, you know, you can put them up on your wall and everything like that. This was pre-NFT days and back. But the older ones were there, like to collect, and they'd like to keep all their trophy assets there. The the newer folks are coming in mainly for the tech because mm-hmm. they think NFTs are cool and they think there's a future of digital assets. They see the benefits. They understand the benefits a lot more. And they're willing to pay a high price and maybe flip it or, you know, um, hang on to it if they want to. Yeah, very interesting. And and yeah, even if it's different motivations, it's encouraging that you're getting some of those older users that are still uh, interacting and seeing the benefits uh, um, of these these assets. And so you, you mentioned in there the, the word interoperability. And I think that's that's something that's uh-huh. been a big buzzword and, and thrown around a lot in the Web3 space. Um, and I, I know that's something that uh, Metajuice is definitely focusing on and, and has as, uh, as motivation. So I'm I'm curious, are uh, if the some of the reasoning or motivations behind MetaJuice uh, pursuing interoperability with other metaverse platforms? Uh, mm-hmm. So, yeah, what are, what are those motivations? And also, if there's kind of both ideological and business sides of that. Yeah, so I would say it's more ideological than business per se. Uh, the main goal of interoperability, we just we joined, I think, uh, a few months back, the Open Metaverse Alliance. It's a gathering of all of the other metaverses and Upland, quite a few of them. And we keep getting more Web3 metaverses added there all the time. The motivation was if you buy a digital asset, you should be able to use it elsewhere. Um, it's, I think it's the direction of the gaming, social is all going to move in because right now you could go in a game, buy you know, skin free gun or whatever for thousands of dollars. And then you can never resell it. You cannot do anything with it. You can never trade it. Once you spend it, the company gets it. A centralized company gets it and that's it. But in the future with NFTs, uh, digital asset ownership, it's just going to open up the entire ecosystem where you should be able to trade it anywhere. No single company should be able to control that. So that's kind of our belief as well. In a free economy, you should be able to take your digital assets anywhere. So we are working with all these other metaverses on ways in which you could buy the, the, the digital items that you bought in our ecosystem can be used in other ecosystems and vice versa as well. So if you bought this cool jetpack in Sandbox, you should be able to bring it in into our metaverse, and you should be able to do things with it within our metaverse. 
uh, I think um, having that in the future just gives players and uh, access more experiences. If you bought a cool, you know, pet digital pet in Arma, where maybe you take it to Sandbox and you like to put it up there as well. So uh, it doesn't mean that we lose the user. They'll probably come back to buy more items or spend more time on our platform and buy something from Sandbox and bring it back. So I think that's where the future is going to be, where folks don't want to be tied down to this one ecosystem. They may buy things from an ecosystem, take it elsewhere, use it there. They could use it in Upland or Sandbox and um, you know bring items to them here. Uh, again, the other ideological aspect of this is it helps the creators. That's the folks whom we are trying to empower. Because if an item sells on Sandbox, or become super popular on sandbox, it opens up a whole new market for creators. Not only are, are they creating items which are popular on you, they don't have to go on a sandbox and become a creator there and learn the tool and everything. They can create the same item that gets rendered in sandbox land, or any other metaverse as part of the alliance. And then those digital items, regardless of where they sell, they still incur a royalty that gets paid out to the creator. So that's kind of uh, the big motivation is Web3 is going to be interoperable, it's going to be uh, open, and at the, at the uh, base of that is the creator uh, who basically gets more sales from the digital goods being on other platforms. It's going to be the user who's going to be empowered uh, because they can have a variety of different experiences without getting tied down to just one platform. Uh, they don't have to go and buy all this whole new set of digital items and sandbox or different metaverse. Uh, neither does the creator have to learn any tools. At the same time, they collect royalty for all the sales. Yeah, I, I love that because uh, it, it really seems like the the focus at the end of the day is how to make it a better user experience um, and how to support the creators. And I, I think that's that's some great ideals to have and and be uh, pursuing and pushing forward uh, within the space. So I, I definitely respect that. Um, and uh, more question, um, I'm. I'm very curious, since you've been kind of leading the charge of this transition to Web3, uh, what have you learned in the process of that transition, uh, both on uh, what it's required for the company and also what it's required mm -hmm. when, with interacting with the community? Absolutely. So I think uh, the big um, thing that we've learned is you cannot, you know, we have a massive economy. We have like 60 million digital goods in our catalog. Almost 10,000 new goods appear every day. Uh, 20 million digital goods are sold each month. You can't just turn on a switch and turn on a USB. And for most people outside of the very technologically savvy uh, crowd, Web3 is still very, very intimidating. You know, setting up your key phrase. You know, you lose your key phrase, you lose, there's no one to call, you cannot get your funds, things like that. Setting up a MetaMask, connecting it to a site, you get the cryptic message you don't even understand, and your funds could be stolen if you don't know what you're. Uh, what you're doing right so it's very very intimidating for most folks so we wanted to make it as easy as possible uh, for our web 2 audience to transition into web 3. so you got to take uh, one step at a time and to that end we started with bitcoin we started the journey very slowly we started with bitcoin we lit up limited use cases like gifting tipping paying for digital services after that we used the nft store where you could actually buy items where uh, we build that coin and then sell it uh, then we introduce the token that can be exchange traded, where you can actually take off custody or take it to other platforms where you could buy NFTs for that. So we've all kind of done it in, um, in a very phased manner so that it doesn't wrap in a community. We, we want it to be open to both the Web2 crowd and the Web3 crowd as well. We want it to be friendly uh, to uh, the experience to be friendly for Web3 crowd. We built the entire 
custodial wallet infrastructure be able to support that. We could have gone the non-custodial way and said, hey, just plug your wallet in. We don't hold your funds and you're done. You know, take it out. That would have been the easy path. But you took the more difficult route and actually built our custodial wallet infrastructure. It made it easy to scale up to one and a half million wallets. We made it easy for folks to catch out anytime they wanted to. So it was a very uh, seamless experience for the Web2 audience who are used to it. So if you're trying to transition a Web2 to a Web3 economy, you've got to take one step at a time. I think Web3 is going to evolve. Web3 is going to become very user-friendly in the next few years. You know, right now it's intimidating, but there's a lot of smart people working on making it super simple. So that tech is going to evolve. It's going to become as seamless and as native as, as Web2. Uh, so we don't want to, you know, uh, if you have a large Web2 audience, 4 million or so, who's logging in each month and interacting with the platform, you don't want them to introduce a technology that's completely foreign to them. So you can do it instead. And I think eventually Web3 is going to catch up, become seamless, and then you wouldn't know the difference whether it's Web2 on the back end or Web3. It's all going to be super easy. And that's what we've tried to do is keep that experience as simple as possible for users. Wow. Yeah, you, you guys are really, I think, an example of uh, that other teams should, should look at as a reference and look to, up to on, on how to take a large audience and uh, really have, have their best interests at the forefront and not, not pushing the technology on them in a way that is going to negatively impact them, but really showing them and taking the time to do it right, um, showing them how, to, how this can actually add value. Uh, to their experience um, and doing it in a way that's uh, gradual and not not rushing things. So I think this is uh, very interesting, um, and especially you've, you've been, had a chance to see some of the impacts of, of those changes on how your community has responded. Um, and so, uh, yeah, congratulations on that, and I am very uh, encouraged and excited to see some of the how this continues to evolve as you uh, expand the system more with uh, with vCore and uh, expand into uh, these other other marketplaces as well. Um, and so, if people would like to learn more about Inview or get in contact with you, what would be the best way for them to do so? And so, uh, I'm available on LinkedIn, Twitter. My handle is N B E L T H A N. My first initial and my last name. Uh, Inview. Obviously, you can go to Inview.com. We have a web application. We have a desktop application. And then we have a iOS and Android application as well. Just go in there um, and download the app. We are among the top 10 most popular apps on social. You can look at our on-chain stats on DAP Radar as well. Again, you can put an in-view. It will show our on-chain stats for the Web3 community that wants to look more into in-view or be doing on a on-chain stats basis. You can go there and take a look. And then you can download the app. Uh, folks who want to check out our NFTs, just download the app or go to our, our web store, our NFT store is integrated everywhere, web as well as iOS and Android. And then you can actually see the type of digital goods that are there for sale, the NFTs that are there for sale, and what you can do with our token as well. All right, Nishal, I really enjoyed this conversation, but I, I think it's a, about time we wrap this up. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And yeah, thanks so much for having me. Great.